Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I came out of a world and I just, the idea of doing what I was doing, but that people were, just the idea that you were working to make people laugh. If that was, you got to do that, what, why would you do anything else? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited about this episode this week, part one and part two with Beth Lapidus. She is a force of nature and I'm so excited to get a chance to interview her and spend time with her. She's been a big part of my life throughout my career. Looking forward to it. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter. And if you want to reach me further, you can do so on my website at barrykatz.com. And without further ado, let's introduce Beth. Beth Lapidus has been called the godmother of alternative comedy by the LA Times. She is the creator and host of Los Angeles' legendary storytelling show, Uncabaret, now in its 28th year. Uncabaret is the unhomophobic, unxenophobic, unmisogynistic, and unhacky place for comedy luminaries to tell stories ripped from the headlines of their lives. Uncabaret has been adapted into an Amazon Prime series, a Comedy Central special, and five critically acclaimed albums. Its notable guest list includes a who's who of some of the greatest performers of my or any generation including Bob Odenkirk, Patton Oswalt, Margaret Cho, Sandra Bernhardt, Kathy Griffin, Maria Bamford, Julia Sweeney, Tig Notaro, Janine Garofalo, Jennifer Coolidge, Sarah Silverman, Natasha Leggero, Sam Jay, Ali Wong, Jon Stewart, and countless more. Beth has appeared on CNN's History of Comedy, PBS's Women in Comedy, Comedy Central's NPR, All Things Considered, Politically Incorrect, The Today Show, and Sex in the City. In addition to hosting on Cabaret, she's hosted a talk show pilot, The Couch for MTV, the podcast Life and Beth, and two daily radio shows, The Beth Lapidus Experience, and Radio on Cabaret. 
Beth has written for O Magazine, El Decor, Premier Magazine, The Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, and LA Yoga, for whom she wrote a syndicated monthly column. Her first book, Did I Wake You?, a haiku for modern living was published by Soft Skull Press, and her writing has appeared in several anthologies, including Premier Guide to the Movies and No Kidding. Beth continues to teach writing and creative workshops at places like Second City, UCLA Extension, and the LA Gay and Lesbian Center, just to name a few. She is the recipient of several National Endowment of the Arts grants, and her one-of-a-kind books have been presented at the prestigious Metropolitan Museum of Art Library. Recently, she just released her newest audiobook entitled So You Need to Decide, which features conversations with comedians about making decisions in family, work, love, moving, and spirituality. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Beth Lapidus. Barry Katz! Thank you, Barry. It's just a delight to be here. I don't know if I ever told you this. If I was a boy, my name was going to be Barry. I did not know that. If I was going to be a girl, my name was going to be Barry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and we're off. And we're off. I'm sorry. I'm not that funny, but I just, at least not tonight. But I have so many things to ask you. One of the things I always loved about you, I love titles. I mm. love unique and interesting titles. Mm -hmm. And I want you to share with the audience all the titles that you've come up with that you've used that to me are so <laughs> unbelievably hilarious and just go through somewhat a chronology oh, of gosh. those titles and how you came up with them. I'll just give you an example of one okay? and then you can go through all of them. Okay. 100% happy 88% of the time. That is one. I was thinking about happiness and you know what it was? I think it was, I had done one of my famous email blasts and I got a note back from a TV writer that I really respected and said, I don't know why you're teaching. One of the things I do, as you know, is comedy workshops. He said, you should be teaching something about happiness or bigger or something about life. And then I just started playing with the idea of happiness and thinking about happiness and reading about happiness, which I mean, I was anyway. And then I was struck so much by the idea that there was this idea that if you did all the right things, you could somehow be 100% happy 100% of the time. And it just seems so wrong. So I just thought, well, maybe you could be 100% happy if it was what, you know, some other percentage. And I tried to figure out what that number was for a little while. And finally, I landed on 88 because it was two infinity signs and 88 was double infinity was impossible so i liked the sort of irony of that and then the magic of it and then i got into the infinity sign and then i learned that a piano has 88 keys and blah 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 anyway that's how you know i also thought to myself how many numbers have a double double consonant <laughs> like you know it i know eight mm -hmm. Ends in a T. So 88, you know, you just got that. It has, it has a ring. Definitely had a ring to it. And so it's like it's that extra punch. Yeah. All right. All right. Next one. Life and Beth. Ah, that was my podcast, which is on 
probably permanent hiatus. That's your next podcast title. Permanent hiatus. <laughs> I love it. That one really was, I think I wanted to do something with my name and because I'm so interested in conversation, there was, you know, the idea that I was talking to someone, what are you talking to them about? Well, really just their life. So whoever was the guest was life. So life and Beth. Got it. Globomania. Okay. That show title came from a, a point after I realized that we had this image of the globe now and at some point it all of a sudden became a thing that people were using to sell things beer and cars and all the very things that seemed to actually be destroying the globe itself were being sold with a picture of the globe and that to me seemed like utter madness and uh, it was about that kind of craziness and the idea that this picture of the globe could save us if we really took it into our hearts. Um, so that was Globomania. I keep thinking of that famous line. I think it was from George Carlin's 14th special. <laughs> you know, when he's talking about the people who are pro-environment and how he says that the world will flick you off like your fleas. <laughs> or something of that nature. Something like that, yeah. Did I wake you? Oh, did I wake you? <laughs> Haiku for modern living. You know what? The truth is, it. I think you know what it came from. One of the haiku is funny. At a certain point, I moved and I finally had a studio. You know, my own. I finally had a room to write in, and I had had been doing uncap at that point for I don't know, maybe ten years. And this giant stack of sets. You know, I just thought there's a book in here. I'm going to write my book. And first, I'm just going to read all my sets and I'm going to get it. And I sort of thought I was going to come out with my running with scissors. You know, it was going to be, that's what it was going to be. My memoir of pain and I don't know. So I started reading and I just took a highlight and I just started circling everything I like. And then I started to go through and look at all the things. And it was insane. Everything was written in haiku. I had written like hundreds of haiku without realizing it in my stand-up notes that I was thinking in that poetic way. And so the book wasn't fully written, but I had a, I had hundreds of haiku in almost form and I put it together and I looked at them and that was a title that was in one of the haiku. Got it. I have more. Okay. Uncabaret. Okay. Uncabaret. The, the most well-known of all my titles. That one was a download. Okay. So there's a long history of how I came to this moment. I think these histories are really important for the audience. To okay. Know. What I love about you. Okay, Beth. And I love a lot of things about you. And first of all, I'm interrupting because I think it's important that our audience know is that you're the only person that I really know who is never technically in my world, in the world that I hung in and the kind of shows I went to. But whenever I came to your show or I, whenever I was there, you always treated me like I belonged. You always treated me like mm. I was part of the family. Even technically speaking, I was never a part of the family. I technically was an outsider because I never really spent a lot of time in the alternative rooms. But you always treated me like I had a seat at the Thanksgiving table. And wow. I'll always thank you for that. That's nice to hear. Well, I'm glad. I think one of the things about Uncabaret is that because it was a room of outsiders, almost nobody could be an outsider when they came there. I always said it's a very exclusive 
situation, but all you have to do to be included is show up. You know, it had that feeling, but as long as you were there, you were part of it. I mean, everyone who was there was part of the energy and I really just valued everybody coming always. So, you know, you brought all your energy and, you know, people came to be part of it. And it was always an experience. I don't want to even want to say was, it still is. I mean, Cabaret is so vital still. I mean, we're doing these Zoom shows that have really been a kind of reinvention and I'm so excited about it. Cabaret always is, always has been from the beginning, an experience of the now in the context of comedy. I know that sounds very woo-woo, but it is what it is. There's a point in the 80s, 1980s, when I was doing both still one-woman shows and theater performance RD and then also stand-up comedy gigs. I was very frustrated in the stand-up comedy world, but I loved comedy so much. I had really fallen in love with comedy. I came out of a world and I just, the idea of doing what I was doing, but that people were, just the idea that you were working to make people laugh. If that was, you got to do that, what, why would you do anything else? And I fell in love with the history of comedy and I was doing clubs middlingly successfully. I was getting gigs, I was in clubs. There was a night that I was at the comedy store and I was following Andrew Dice Clay. And I was standing backstage and I was watching him and I was just hating him and he's doing his misogynist thing. And I was watching the audience and they were laughing and I was hating them. And then I was hating myself for hating the, I, I just don't do well with hate, Barry. So I just got very frozen and the little ticker tape started to go off in my head. Like there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And the idea that I wanted to figure out some other, I didn't even know what it was place or way, or it just was like a frustration. So when I found myself a little bit later at this offbeat venue called the women's building doing my show Globomania, and they were, they were laughing just, you know, you wished it was that funny. It was a thought it was a little funnier than it was and in the meet and greet I said to them when was the last time you guys laughed it's just not that quite and they said oh we don't laugh we're women and we're artists and we're lesbians and when we go to comedy clubs they make fun of us and I said I'm going to come back from tour I'm going to make you a show it's going to be unhomophobic unxenophobic unmisogynist it'll be uncabaret and I don't know where it came from I re literally do not know. I had never really been to a cabaret. I don't di didn't imagine myself in cabaret. So I don't know. It was a gift. And then I tried to live up to the name. And then I had the name, but I didn't know what what the heck it meant. So I had to start figuring it out. And we did shows there, and they lost their funding. And then I moved it to highways. And you know, then it's a long history. But that's how the name happened. You said something that this always fascinates me. So, but I want your take on it. I'm ready. Andrew Silverstein goes on at the comedy store playing a character called Andrew Dice Clay, mm -hmm. a misogynistic man who says horrible things about his relationships and dealings with women. Mm -hmm. People rebel against it. They go crazy. Michael Scott, character created by the office creators and Steve Carell, he says horrible, misogynistic things, and 58 billion people download it, <laughs> and it's the number one show in the world. Why is it not okay to create a character that 
you know, our, uh, Carol O'Connor and, and Archie Bunker, he was, it was Carol O'Connor. He wasn't Archie Bunker. He created the, he created a character. And so why is it not okay to do the characters in the comedy club that are these hard hitting offensive things, but it's okay to do it at Uncabaret? Oh, it's not okay to do it on cabaret. But um, the difference is, of course, in the scripted shows, we have other characters balancing it out. And we know that it's a written character. And we know that it's in some ways being made fun of. I mean, Archie Bunker is not being put forth as truth. He has Meathead, you know, that he's rubbing up against. And we understand that he's speaking for a point of view that we're trying to look at and and it's in television and it's a dramatic distancing and it's a script when you have somebody standing on stage it's an authorial you know that is the nature of stand-up is that it's you that is the only thing about stand-up that is really the same no matter where you go or what you do that person at that microphone is speaking their truth that's our understanding of stand-up i mean perhaps you could say andy kaufman was a person who twisted that. And there are people who have played with that. And there are people who within their act come on as themselves and then sort of slide into a point of view and out of a point of view, but they return to a center that we understand. Andrew Dice Clay wasn't doing it as a piece of performance art. It was a way, at least this is how it seemed, and I've never heard him say anything else, and it might be true, but it seemed like, oh, uh, just an easy way of doing it. Why don't you just put up this artifice? If you do it as a character, well, then maybe it's not you, but stand-up is you. I mean, I, I who, Barry? I, I, I want to ask you this question because I don't know the answer, but you know the answer. Okay. Just pretend you don't know who this person is. Mm-hmm. And you have a new talent spot. A lot of times on Uncabaret, there were these slots where you would take a chance on somebody who you didn't really know. Mm -hmm. And so he comes on at Uncabaret as an unknown person doing that character. Does he die a miserable death in the room? Or Oh, he... yes, yes, yes. Well, I know, I mean, I would have gotten... First of all, people were vetted. I mean, I, I might not have known them deeply. I might have had a less complex understanding of work, but there were very few people whose work wasn't known. There were no, you know, giant surprises. I mean, some people, I'll give you an example, like Kevin Meany, whose work I really do like, did like, uh, really did an act and, you know, was never, didn't break away from his act when he did on Cabin. The audience did not go for it. I mean, you know, nothing against Kevin's work because he was a genius stand-up. But on Cabaret had a certain form which was real and authentic and be you. So I really mostly worked with people who could do that. I mean, I remember John Stewart did it and was like, "Oh my God, I'm so nervous right now. So I haven't sweat during stand-up in so long." Bill Maher also. So that wouldn't it wouldn't have happened that somebody would have had access to that kind of material. I mean, I didn't have to approve everything, but a whole point of view that was that skewed in misogyny, I don't think would have ever gotten on stage but if it did i did have the back mic and i would have interrupted and i would have asked questions and i would have you know poked and prodded and tried to make the audience feel okay because i was always protecting the audience 
And again, I, I love this because I truly don't know the answer. So the last thing in this theme. Mm -hmm. So take the same instance that I'm talking about with a relative unknown that mm -hmm. the crowd doesn't know and you don't know that well. Mm -hmm. And then it's a woman who's doing anti-male. The, yeah, the flip yeah. side of what Andrew is That's doing. interesting. You know, I think even, even as I look at, you know, bringing in new people now, which I'm always looking, I tend to, I don't know how to say this right, because I tend to gravitate towards people who are just it's a loving environment, which is weird to say because it's comedy. So, I mean, somebody like Judy Gold is, you know, she's strong and she's you know muscly and you wouldn't necessarily think of her as like a love-based comedian but she's not against groups of people that she might be mad at a person or a situation but she's not um anti a whole group that sort of giant swath of hate i mean i would say the show itself is a progress is you know variety just called us a progressive comedy show and I think that's true. So I would say liberal, but you will hear very little specifically, even during the worst of it, specifically anti-Trump. It was sort of understood, but it's not, it's the subtext, you know, that subtext of hate. And so you wouldn't really hear male bashing. I don't think any more than you would hear female bashing because it's too general and it's not enough grounded in a specific story. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I mean, so much of what I've just been working on over the past, certainly two years, but if not 10, is the idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. This idea that like we can relax and be, I don't know about relax, but be comfortable in what is. So, I mean, I almost would say that would be great advice that I would give to myself as a younger person that I don't think that I had. I think I did some things right, which was just sort of keep going. The world is so different now, but you, I think the amount that you have to keep going, I think maybe a little less doubt of myself, a little more bravado. I think I, I'm very sensitive and I think I might, I, I would say maybe be less sensitive <laughs> would be the main thing. To develop personal style, really listen to yourself, which is hard, you know, the listening, but at that mostly be a little less sensitive, especially for, I see men 
being less sensitive. I mean, I will, I hate to make divisions between men and women and I almost never do, but in the comedy world, I saw, I wish I had modeled myself a little more on that because I saw men just boldly going through. I'd see a guy get off stage having done eh, or worse and be like, I killed, I killed. And I mean, I would have to kill so hard to say I killed. I don't know if I've ever said I killed, you know, it's like, so I would say maybe, you know, give yourself a break. I love talking about how every genre sort of sometimes mixes together a little bit. And there's groups that go from one to the other, sometimes more seamlessly than the other. There's, uh -huh. <laughs> there's singers who do ballads who sometimes have a huge hit with a huge hard driving rock and roll song. And there's jazz musicians who change or there's joe jackson who did something with look sharp and then his next album was a completely different thing there's jim carrey who did all the physical stuff and mm. you know did the eternal sunshine movie right tell me three comedians who you believe or comedy artists who you believe seamlessly can go from your room to the stand-up rooms back and forth mm. with no problem with any audience thinking they don't belong to either one of them. Okay. Well, I mean, I think Judy Gold, who I've already said, but so let's bring up new people. Alex Edelman came to mind. Byron Bowers comes to mind. Jen Kirkman comes to mind. Those are three just off the top of my head. Awesome. When you're doing your shows, I always look at you from afar and I always think to myself, the other side, and this is the Jew in me. <laughs> I always saw your brand as a multi-million dollar brand that was a worldwide brand that I always saw it as something that in every city there could be an uncabaret club and in Vegas there's the uncabaret and in Paris and in, mm -hmm. I always thought of it as a worldwide brand mm -hmm. and I want you to be if you can be a little vulnerable with me and tell me what your part is in the fact that maybe throughout the years up till this point, what you could have done differently or wanted to do differently, or maybe you never wanted to do it. Mm. What could have happened and how it could have happened for at this point in time for it to be a worldwide brand all over the country and i could go to new york and there's an uncabaret there i could go to chicago and there's one there i could go to miami mm -hmm. i'd love I to know why you feel like you didn't do that do that or why it didn't happen okay that's a great question i will try to be vulnerable and honest in my answer i'm one person i'm only one person and I primarily identify as a, a writer and artist and that, you know, I don't, I have done business and I am not, not a business person, but I am not primarily a business person. And the idea of becoming, of losing, you know, you are what you do. So I would say the short answer is the right partner. I would say the right partner to do that with. I have clear ideas of how that would happen. And maybe Barry, maybe this podcast goes out and it, you know, that all changes. I've never had the heart to lose the part of me that keeps me alive, which is the writing and the performing and the creating. And I would say it boils down to the idea of hiring waiters and coming up with menus 
was scary. I was scared of that, but I have always been frustrated at, I'm not sure. I, I've been frustrated at, you know, some sort of ceiling that I always wondered, am I, you know, do I want to keep it safe so that people are safe to explore and grow and how much could it grow? And could it still, if there was one in New York, who would book it? And I think those are all answerable questions, but you know, I had a partner for some years and who was the business partner who I was also married to and wasn't really a business person either. He did do, he was a good producer, but not a business person. And I remain open to new opportunities. You know, we're growing. The Zoom thing was great. Is the club thing a right thing to do? I wish we have done more television opportunities came for earlier tv stuff that didn't include me hosting and i didn't want to do that i felt my hosting was part of it then other tv things did happen i you know lack of great management maybe i don't know i i wish i i don't know barry wish you asked me this question 30 years ago and had a plan and showed me a piece of paper of what to do I, i'm not sure I sometimes think I've just kept my head down and worked and didn't, I mean, I, I would say I am a bit of a, you know, I do love working. I was writing something the other day and I was like, I remembered in second grade begging for homework. And I was like, this was early onset workaholism. I mean, <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, you know, comedy has such a, a reputation as like a fun business, you know, and maybe I've just kept my head down and, just always so worried about my set for the next week. It's one of the problems. I mean, I was always making next week's show because it was a new show every single week. And that is a lot of performing and figuring out next week. And I think it's possible that I traded in the ability to do, I don't do it every week anymore. So I'm more able to do this book and I'm more able to do more things. So I don't know, I'm, I'm continuing to talk, but I think I might've answered the question. No, no, this is good. You didn't expect you were going to get on with me and we weren't going to talk about difficult subjects. You... I, I did. I did. I was like, if it's going to be 90 minutes, we're going to get into some stuff. It's going to be a softball coming up. <laughs> I always like to say 90 minutes. That way, if it goes 60, you're like, wow, this is great. We <laughs> end early. Right. We're always about managing expectations. It's always is. So do you have a follow-up question for that answer? Yes, I do. Anything I can tell you, you've already heard before. So, but I, you know, I always am fascinated by, don't hang up on me. I'm always fascinated by the lies we tell ourselves. Right. And how, why things are the way they are. And it's because of this and it's because of that. And, but I think there's always more to it. And you're, you're a really special person. People, you've provided a home for so many performers who didn't have a home. They didn't have a place that they felt safe. And when they walked down those stairs to that room that I remember so vividly and hung out in that little atrium before you walked through the door and looked inside the club, it was just a, you started walking down the stairs and you felt like you were just home. And it was odd for me to feel like I was home because I wasn't home. But I mean, it was it was like that kind of thing. And I think that was the first place I saw, of all people, Andy Dick perform and talk about Andy Kaufman-esque kind of yeah. behavior and you not knowing what's real and, and what isn't real. But I always say to anybody who listen, if you didn't know anything about Andy Dick and you didn't know anything about his personal life and you didn't know anything that he'd done, there isn't a time when he's on camera where the red light's on where this guy isn't magic. Yeah. Now, 
that saw one. more magic in his pinky finger than you know so it's it's hard to you know i, I love andy so much and i i wish his story was going a little differently right now but as dr phil would say we write direct star and executive produce our own lives so yeah yeah i mean i think he probably it's interesting you bring him up in reference to the what we were talking about a few minutes ago the sort of andrew dice clay question because he probably is the person who was most provocative and challenging to people's safety and i was vigilant about uh trying to create boundaries that would be I always never, I never wanted to not put him on stage because it was so alive and unexpected and there was just so much brilliance in it. But I did always feel like I wanted to vigilantly be on the back mic and protect the audience from anything that might go too far with him. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.